Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Just stop where you are, let's pray, and then I'll chat while you get settled. Merciful God, Father everlasting, who didn't spare your only Son, but gave him up for us, that he, the true bread of life, might feed and refresh us, grant, we beg, that we receive him gladly and be strengthened in every peril and saved to all eternity through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, There's a zillion things to talk about. Put some money in the basket for Russia. That would be good. The Russians can always use a little money from you. Thank you very much. Things are going to accelerate now. There's so much happening. Uh, The best news of the day is that that a couple, four or five folks last drove to Indianapolis last night. They left about 5.30 and got back about 1.30. But the whole rest of the pipe organ is across the street in the very nice NASCAR trailer that you bought. So... um, now, here's the thing. At about 12.30, all hands on deck to unload things. Um, I think, you know, they had probably, I mean, they have some guys already who are, are ready to go, but some of the pipes are so big that they're going to have to be taken into the church and lifted over the balcony. If we drop them, that will delay the start time. So, um, and all the, I think they're, they probably have all the case and that kind of stuff. So, uh, a lot of wood, heavy stuff. Uh, but is, are, there, does anybody, are there lighter stuff, too? Like people who can only bench their weight, can they come and play as well? Or do you have to, is there some, yeah? You've got stuff plenty to do? Because there's going to be lighter stuff, there's going to be blankets to fold, there's going to be stuff to keep out of the rain, blah, blah, blah. And we have to move the balcony pews down into the other room. By the way, I'm willing to give any one of you a deal, a cash and carry deal on those balcony pews. Now we no longer need those pews. I mean, there's a couple of things you can do. You can start your own church uh, in a storefront somewhere, <laughs> praise Jesus, or you could saw them up and heat your house next year. So we got pews. We're not keeping pews, are we? Because what's the problem with a church? Everybody thinks it's a storage closet. No, take your junk home. Put it in your own closet. So, uh, sorry, <coughs> non-junk guy. So, uh, yeah, take it in your, put it in your backyard. Put a couple of them on your patio. They'll be gorgeous. So, um, how many pews we got to get rid? Of? We got pews to get rid of. We're not keeping them, are we? What are we going to do with them? Yeah, you know, a couple of dozen. Yeah, buy them, give them to your grandkids for Christmas. It's going to be great. Okay, solid oak. Build something, make something. It'll be great. So if you can come back at twelve thirty and help carry that, many hands like work and all of that. Um, but go slowly. Don't drop stuff. We've been waiting, of course, years for this, and this is a big day, at least for me, because much of this we paid for in advance. So, you know, if the guy would have dropped out of a heart attack or the trailer would have tipped upside down, that would have been bad. That's bad things, right? <laughs> but now it should come, and, you know, maybe by Christmas you'll get to sing Christmas hymns on your new organ. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But that's not a promise, um, and past performance is no indicator of future returns, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, we got anything else going on? I feel like there were other things we should talk about. No? It's pink. Remember that in the... Uh, Lent and, and Advent and Lent are purple seasons, four weeks long, six weeks long. They can get a little heavy on you if you take it seriously. So if you're fasting or if you're praying a lot or if you're doing some other discipline, that can get a bit heavy. The church recognizes this. And so the third week of Advent, third of four, and in um, the fourth of six, so Gaudete and Latari, the, the two kind of rejoicing Sundays, you get a little bit of a break today. Remember on your Advent wreath, you have a third week has a pink candle, remember? And then today the vestments are rose-colored, not pink. Pastor Nelson doesn't want to wear pink. He's not secure about many things in life. And so, I mean, you don't need to tell him I tell you this. It's just a way for you to love him better. Uh, but, you know, so it's rose-colored, right, like the rose of Sharon, 
Uh, it should ring all those bells and blah, blah. All right, everything else good? You should be making plans for the Sunday that nobody ever comes to church, low Sunday. We're going to have our 150th anniversary, so you'll come to church. So, and, and we're going to give you free food. So you get the baby Jesus, 150 years of St. John, and free brunch all wrapped up in one package. You cannot say no. It's free, right? Bring your friends. But you should RSVP somewhere because I'm sure we're counting noses for a caterer somewhere, somehow. All right. Um, I felt like there was even more to talk about than that, but is that everything? Everybody's good? On Wednesday, we'll buy you dinner at 6. What's it going to be this week, Gretchen Scheel? Salad and sandwiches. Fantastic. Where are the sandwiches coming from? Um, And there you go. What there you go. What further need of witnesses? Gretchen makes chili, and you'll have a sandwich from Mariano's and stuff. So six o'clock for that. Um, some of you we've heard have sins. For that, um, <laughs> the pastors will be. There'll be somebody here in confession at um, uh, five thirty. Let's not let's not make the pastor like the Maytag repairman. Okay, you know, just kind of sitting there. You're, if you're a particular age, you could remember this. So, you know, he's he's there for you. All right. All right. Questions about anything? Um, people should do that. People should sign up for things. Right. Really? All right. All right, so um, sign up. Don't wait till the last minute. How many weeks away are we? Month? Four weeks. Got to turn the room dealio. In, yeah. So if you're going to go, um, now's a great time to sign up, stay overnight. If you're going to stay up late, stay overnight. Come on, you don't, like your, you don't like your husband and kids that much anyway. This is a night off. You can blame the church. So come on, you should do this, right? All right, anything else, anything else we need to do? Right? Is everything else good? Um, all right, so it's been a bit technical, and we'll, I'll try to make it less technical. But although you just do have to kind of think about this. Um, so, you know, we talk about kind of the centerpiece of the crucifixion today, the suffering, but they're of, they're of one cloth, right? I mean, try not to choose between the crucifixion and Easter. It's a bundle. There's always the, the temptation to, to scoot along to Easter because it's a happier story. Um, and then there's always some people who want to, you know, flagellate themselves um, along with, I was just, you know, I, I kind of like St. Faustina, this interesting Polish saint, and she's, we've run a thing. But then I read, you know, I was reading some stuff yesterday where she, you know, it's always the, it's the thing that keeps me from being Catholic. She, she ties her sufferings to Jesus' sufferings, and those sufferings together, you know, save me. And this is always the great nervousness of a co-redemptrix, of somebody who else cooperates or adds to or contributes to my salvation. That always, um, trusting a person, even a saint, is kind of a difficult thing, right? And that's still, that's, that's 1900 stuff. She's 1905 to, you know, 3840, something like that, um, so, you know, there's always the, the nervousness about that. So th- these are the things that have to be, you have to, uh, you have to think about them. I know that sometimes this gets a little technical. People, you know, write PhDs on this stuff, and it's dead boring. Um, unless you think about it in a realistic way, and then it's the coolest of cool things. So we've done Jesus, who's one person, right? I'm only going to do the, the technical stuff at the beginning, but we'll come back to it. He's human and divine, one person and two natures. Everything it is to be human and everything it is to be divine. But see, you can't even really draw this because, you know, um, the Holy Trinity, the two natures of Jesus, Mike Bittner's body and soul, and the bread body at the Eucharist and the wine blood, 
all share the same thing, this dance of perichoresis, interpenetration, where things are wrapped together um, indivisibly but without compromise, right? So we can talk about Mike having a body and a soul, um, but we don't get confused about whether we're talking about Mike or it's Mike. He's our guy. We love him. He's at the altar. Come on. Same thing for the Eucharist, bread, body, wine, blood, how Luther talked about it. No hyphen, just or a hyphen, no, no separation. It's just, you know, it's all there. Jesus, human and divine. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Jesus, one person, two natures. Um, the Eucharist, two species, bread, wine, and then with the words of Jesus coming to it, something to be adored, right? Something to be worshipped on the altar. Bread, body, wine, blood. Um, you worship the body and not the bread, the blood and not the wine, but, you know, you got it figured out. You're big persons. You think about things clearly. So um, think about this as clearly as you can. You have one person, Jesus Christ, and, um, you know, because of this interesting relationship with these two natures, you can do cool things, like you can say, God dies, right? Or God has a mother. Because anything you can say about this, you say about the whole person, Right? You can say, God dies, or God has a mother. Right? So you can talk about you can talk that way. It's very interesting. Or you can say, Jesus forgives sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus is like, hey, 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 hey. Right? And then he forgives everybody. By the way, I hope it wasn't lost on you today that the gospel is touched today, where Jesus, of course, spits on the guy. This is virtually a water story, right? I know you all think of Bart Simpson, but no, Jesus spits on the guy, puts the mud in his eyes, right? Washes him up in the Pool of Siloam, which you can still go see today. They've discovered it. If you've been to Israel, you can look at the Pool of Siloam. There it is. You're like, that's, that's a great thing. And then because he's touched, he sees. So in any case, um, we've done this where you can talk about the two natures. But here's the thing we haven't really talked about and we'll talk about today, which is um, whenever... Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ is a nice way to talk about it because then you get everything. Our faith, Lord, so divine. Jesus forgives your sins. Christ is the Messiah. Whenever our Lord Jesus Christ does everything, um, so for example, going to the cross, um, he does it. And each um, nature contributes what it can. So for example, the human nature contributes flesh and blood that you can put nails through. Very nicely done. Or human nature can die. So that's what it contributes. The thing you want to avoid as you go to Good Friday is having the fix put in. So it's not as if there's some trap door where anytime Jesus gets in a little bit of a jam, he's like, let's just borrow a little bit over here. No, no, no. Right? Because then it wouldn't be as Hebrew says, he was tempted as every, he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet did not sin. You know, so Jesus doesn't cheat on the exam. It's, and, and this is the most phenomenal thing, that Jesus goes to the cross and dies as a human being, that he's nailed to the cross and dies as a human being is the most remarkable thing. No cheating, right? So when Jesus abandons himself to his heavenly father, you know, I wish I didn't have to drink this. Okay, I'll drink it. When he abandons himself to his heavenly father, it's, it's what you would experience if you abandon yourself. If you totally abandon yourself, you can only imagine what that experience it is. And then, you know, times all the people that have ever been born. It's this remarkably potent and painful experience. And now, this is where I'm going today, which is at its source about love. You will hear 
and it is not wrong, it is right. You will hear regularly through the Holy Week and in the larger church various descriptions of what is happening. Normally, you know, in Wheaton and around Wheaton, and normally what you'll hear is something about the wrath of God, God's anger, God's hatred, the appeasement of God. Yeah, I get all of that. But the heart of God is not wrath. And what rarely gets said is that the crucifixion is about the love of God, right? And so that's where I want to push you today. When, um, when particularly in intellectual circles, when people want to dismiss um, uh, Christianity, there's a couple of ways that this is done. You know, the latest thing about the latest um, notions that, you know, religion, or religion is responsible for all war in the world, therefore get rid of religion, just basic Marxist stuff that's been kind of recapitulated. Um, by the way, there's a genius. I read two Wall Street journals yesterday, but there's a genius article about um, Tim Keller, this famous pastor in New York City. My alma mater gave him a prize and then took it away. Um, three days later, because he doesn't support the ordination of women, gays, lesbians, um, you know, so they gave it to him and then took it away. And kind of in his moxie, he's going to go ahead and give the lecture, even though they're not going to give him the prize. That should be a very interesting thing. But the the interesting thing about this editorial, if you want like a short, you know, you know, I'm a big postmodern proponent because a lot of things there's an openness to faith. But there's a very interesting article in the journal, kind of middle of the page, either Friday or Saturday, that talks about the roots of. Um, intolerance in the postmodern world coming from, it's a philosopher named Richard Rorty, very famous, he was at Stanford, but basically his notion is that we, and, and I've said this, and so then I sort of said, well, I should be more careful. I, two things I've said to you is, one is, we're the stories that we tell about ourselves, and we create our own reality. Both of those are true to a point. They've also become ruined by the postmodern world, so that what happens now is that we tell a story here, and if we can get enough people telling the story and enough people agree with people just like us, other people, think college campuses, don't get to talk, right? So I told you the story of Harvard has two registered Republicans only in the entire faculty. One is retired emeritus, extraordinarily famous scholar, and students are trying to strip him of his professorship post-retirement as an emeritus, right? And you kind of go, why don't you go feed the poor, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, it's just this, this way. It's, it's a great description in one, you know, one-third of a page about why the world is intolerant. It's because we've absorbed um, kind of, I mean, universities always rule the world, right? Seminaries rule the church. That's why seminary positions are so um, coveted by politicians in the church because seminaries turn out pastors who then, you know, teach people stuff. And if you, if you want to take over the world, you take over universities, if you, want to take over, um, if you want to take over the church, you take over seminaries. That's why the whole thing in the 70s was such a big deal. Anyway, I'm far afield. But, it is, but it all, it's all of one piece, I'm telling you. It's, a, it's like every dot is connected. So, you know, it just, you know, just stick in there. Um, anyway, the point is, is that this is, the fix is not in and that this is a love story. It's not wrong to call it a wrath story, but it's not the primary thing, Right? The primary thing, it's not a story about hatred, love, or, or hatred, anger, or wrath, which is why if you go through life as a Christian, you know, always angry, always hateful, always wrathful, always condemning, always judging people, right? You just miss, you don't even get the cross right, okay? So it's the, there's a reason there's a shelf life on anger of one day, right? 
Because you're not good at it. You stink at it, by the way, and so do I. Being angry, you stink at it. You know, only God can be angry le- legitimately, and he decides not to be. He decides to quell his own anger in love, right? So that's what I'm going to, I'm giving you the end game, and that's where I'm going to try to go. You still okay? I know this is a lot to bite off, but here's the thing. If you, if you don't get this, um, you know, it's this old Alfred North, North Whitehead thing I always quote to you. The only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity on the far side of complexity. So it's the, oh, everybody under six today, they make complete sense. They all sound like little Einsteins down there. And then kind of anybody between, you know, nine and 69 is completely confused, right? But then people beyond that kind of get savvy and, the world's sort of, they don't get so worried about things if they've lived in the church and they kind of see that the, this is how the world works and the Lord's going to sort it out. And there's a few important things you need to know and boom, forward you go, right? So it is the, it is the pain and anguish of life that refines you and turns you into a Christian. Luther, you know, oratio, prayer, meditatio, scripture, and what? Tentatio, suffering, are what make a theologian, right? You want to be a good Christian? Pray to be a good Christian? Good luck, because you're right in the crosshairs of what the Lord is about to deliver to you. However, you should not think that what he delivers to you is in wrath, but rather in love. Wisdom isn't cheap. We pay for it with pain. That is one of the um, results of the fall, that wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. But that pain kind of strips away things, and uh, we learn things, and we get better, and we hold on to what we've been given, and you know we get better again, and hopefully then you can have just a little bit of heaven on earth. I mean, I just really—it's funny. I mean, I haven't said this. I've said the same thing to you every Sunday for 20 years, and you just sit there like it's new. What are you like? Come on, you're come on, really? At any moment, I'm expecting people to come through the doors and arrest me for fraud. But let's just keep going, okay? So. All right, here we go. Unholy we sang this morning and prayed as if we were not broken. We prayed as if we were not broken. Crooked, the Christ figure hung, splayed on the bloodied beams above us. That's you sitting in there looking at that icon, right? Devious God, dweller in shadows, mercy us. Immortal cross-shattered Christ, your gentling grace, right? Dribbles down on us. The cross is a blue note, right? Like in jazz. The cross is a blue note, slightly off makes everything else sound right, right? We should probably just cancel Bible study, go to a jazz club for a couple of weeks. You'd all come back better Christians. I wonder if I could get an LWML grant for this. <laughs> Think about this. They're always asking me to write a grant. I wonder if I could. We'd have to price out the liquor, but we could do it. Okay, so the creed is this story of, you know, God eternally in love with us. And often when people tell you the story, this is from last week, right? This, this, the, the story is the story of God eternally in love with us. You have to start there. The story is not the story of God eternally angry with us. If you start with God is eternally angry with us, everybody will be angry and it will end in anger and you're the one getting flicked into the lake of fire at the end. The story is not the story of God eternally angry with us. I mean, one of the hard things about pastors is they're always angry. They're angry that people don't believe. They're angry that people out there don't believe. They're angry that you don't believe better. They're angry that you don't do better. Angry, angry, angry. They're angry all the time. Why would you want to go to a church while everybody's angry all the time? You can stay home and get it for free. Just watch the morning news, right? You don't need Jesus for that. The church is a story of God eternally in love with you, eternally in love with you, right? And seeking you, seeking an everlasting relationship with you. It's the story of God 
who's tender with us, which is what I've tried to convince you that the creed is all about. This is just a way of saying that God is very interested in you. And when he finds you, he'll be very tender. So in Jesus, God comes to find us and rescue us and bring us home again. You know, this notion of Jesus as a first responder. You know, um, I think I got almost all the way to do this. I started to say to you the two ways, um, or there's a couple of ways that people always get it. But one of, the, you know, one of the great charges that always comes against the church at this time of year is that the father is the great child abuser. I could never, I could never, um, I could never worship a God you know, who abuses his son so, gives his son over to death, to which I say, really? Because have you ever read the history of America, for example? You know, it's, you know what you do when you send your sons to war and your daughters to war? You know what you do? You give your children over to death. You know what you do when you let your kid be a cop or a firefighter or a lifeguard or pick something? You know what you do? You give your kids over to death. What do you mean you don't understand this? This is the oldest story there is, that people who are in trouble need rescue. There's nothing you know, abusive about this. It is if it's done in anger. If it's done in wrath, if I expose you, like you know, David sends Uriah near the wall so they can drop a stone on his head and he can steal Bathsheba. Sure, if you do it in wrath, right? and this is the great thing about being Lutheran, law and gospel, everything can be done in a wrathful way. Everything can be done in a way of love. Sure, if you describe the whole thing as wrath, okay, you've screwed up the whole story. You don't even know the first thing which is, this is a story about God eternally in love with you. This is the story of God eternally in love with you, and it's going to take rescue for you to be saved, for you to live, okay? So then we, last week, we, we looked at Mary, where she breathes out and breathes in, right? You know, he comes to her. She's afraid. He says, don't be afraid. He says, would you like to, um, you know, give God flesh? It'll, it'll all be okay, right? And so this responsive back and forth as a model of the Christian life, not just for Mary herself, but we did the wedding at Cana, do whatever he tells you, right? So the Christian life is do whatever Jesus tells you, right? And everything that Jesus does, he does in love. And that is so compelling then that already in real time, the disciples are saying, you know, today, you're the son of God, or St. Stephen, first martyr of the church, um, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, right? And only God receives spirit, like only God forgives sins. I just turned the page. So, um, you know, did you ever get in a jam? Quote Norman Nagel at six. In all this we see, Jesus' life changes what is... I'm sorry, this isn't... Nagel will come later. We're still not in enough trouble to quote Nagel. We'll just go with the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? Jesus' life changes what is possible for human beings. That's, that's it, right? Jesus' life changes what is possible for human beings. Right? When you come to church, you're basically saying, what I get on the, at the Eucharist changes what's possible for me. What I get in baptism, it changes what's possible for me. It's possible for, possible for you to do things like turn the other cheek and give and expect nothing in return. It's possible actually to love your enemies and to, to, to do good to those who hate you. It's actually possible, right? That's the whole point. The whole point is that this, embraced, makes everything different. Not because this is all about anger and wrath, although there is, of course, that part of the story, but you know that part of the story so well. It's the other part of the story that is so we struggle with such, that the self-giving 
of three persons who are one God, who cooperate in the way that both of Jesus' natures always work toward one thing. I could draw you, you know, a triangle right here and say the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are exactly the same way. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always cooperate in whatever they do, all three do their bit. Right? So, you know what? What's the point? The point is that Jesus comes to you and makes a different kind of life possible and demonstrates once for all who God is, what God wants, and what God is doing. Who is God? God is love. What does God want? God wants you. What's God doing? Loving you back to himself. Seems pretty straightforward, right? It seems pretty straightforward. So then point seven, then, you kind of have to ask yourself, why do we kill him? I, got a, I have a thing I, I stole off. Of, this is how, you know, my whole, my whole office is full of really cool. When I die, you're going to have such fun. Pray that I get hit by a bus and you have to clean my office on your own because I got stuff everywhere that I can't find. But it's really cool stuff. I mean, I cut stuff out and I'm like, a vicar should read this. And then I, I pull, that'd be a great, so I have it somewhere I have this MSN title. I, I opened the news one day, you know, on the feed and it said, uh, I've been saving it for a sermon, but since I haven't used it and I've, now I've lost it, there's no point, I couldn't even find it. But the ti- this was the headline on the, on the thing. Scientists find the world's oldest creature and kill it, Right? <laughs> So they found this mollusk or something like that, right? And they're like, oh, I wonder what this is. This is when everybody tells you that scientists are genius. Now, here's the thing. I'm not against scientists, but come on. Occasionally, they have a misfire. So they find this mollusk, right? And they're looking at it, and they're like, oh, let's look inside. And then they open it, and they go, oh, this is the oldest thing we've ever found. And then they killed it by taking it apart. Okay, well, everybody, you know, has a mistake once in a while, right? Scientists find the world's oldest creature and kill it. Good, okay. Well, that's not unlike you, you know. Um, the Lord says to you, um, I love you, I made you, I'd like you back. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, this is going to be great. kingdom of God is here. Heaven is in your midst. It's even inside you. Let's just wash you up, forgive your sins, heal you. And, um, yeah, we can't, we can't have that. Because why? Because of the 26th of March in America, which is everybody has to be in power. Nobody can cooperate. And if you try to take my power, I'm going to have to kill you, right? Which is exactly the story we're going to read about Pilate, who, as you recall in the creed, is the guy who says no. So Jesus is God's yes to us. The Father has a son, and all the promises of God find their yes in him, to which Mary, one person named, says, thank you very much, yes, fiat, let it be to me, just like at the creation, I'll do it, I'm in, do whatever he tells you, boom, 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 boom. So Mary in the creed is the yes, only two persons named besides God himself. Mary who says yes and Pilate who says no. The world is filled with Pontius Pilate. We could not be more relevant by having Lent and thinking about it for six weeks. I, you know what? I mean, I, you know, there's a, it's good that there's not a DNA test for Pontius Pilate in this because, you know, um, a lot of people will be in jail. Okay, so um, John 18, open your Bible. We'll just have a little fun here. As you're going to John 18, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 18. Uh, Pilate's a cagey guy. Well, you, I don't know, you all who went, we went to Israel together a few years ago, you remember for a long time um, people said, hey, this is just a made-up story. And then, I don't know if you remember, we were by the sea... 
Caesarea Philippi, I think, in the amphitheater in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. Do any of you remember this? I think that's where it's located. And remember that they used to recycle stones because it was hard with a hammer and chisel to make stones. And um, they turned over one of the stones when they were digging something out or fixing thing, and Pilate's name is on the stone. Do you remember this? We saw this. And um, what they, you know, for many, many years, there was no sort of other record of Pilate. So people said, ah, this is just another made-up Bible story. The interesting thing is the retractions are never made with the same gusto, right? So they find this rock, and there's Pilate's name. Well, what happened to him? Um, he was a punk. I mean, the guy, he was not good. He made everybody mad. He couldn't keep the peace. And what do the Romans do to you if you can't keep the peace? And, you know, you know, like the communists, they erase you, they Photoshop you out of the picture. You know, you're not there anymore. I thought I was there. No, you're not there. Sorry, it was a big mistake. So it's like the North Koreans. You know, suddenly that general, is just his hat is there. Everything underneath is, right? That's how it was for Pilate. Except then they found this stone with Pontius Pilate's name. And they're like, oh, that would be an odd coincidence that something built right after him would actually have his name. Hmm. So, um, you know, he's, but he was cagey, right? But this is what I'm going to argue to you, which is what drove Pilate is exactly what drives our world today, which is fear. Right? Right? And, of course, the opposite of fear is perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4. Perfect love casts out fear. So when you have all love, you have no fear. Most of us live our lives somewhere in between. I think I told you that a friend who... um, asked me to preach. It was actually the first intern here, Matt Rawl, asked me to preach at his wedding, and I ended up, I didn't know you well enough to ask off, so I didn't preach it. It was in Atlanta. I would have taken a Sunday off, and I said, you know, blah, blah. Um, but I said, what's your text? He goes, First John 4, perfect love casts out fear. I was like, oh, I would still love to preach for that for a marriage, because I would lead by saying, you two should be very, very afraid. <laughs> right? I mean, any of you who are married, you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Think about it, right? A lot to be afraid of, you know? Um, you know, monasticism was a good idea for everybody. So here's the thing, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Pilate is just, the, so Mary is like, what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Okay, you love me, nothing to be afraid of. Exactly opposite for Pilate, Right? Exactly the opposite. I just kind of listened for the fear that permeates this text. So I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of blitz through and edit a bit as I go and just have some fun, you know. But it's John 18, you know, round about 28 or so, right? So you remember how this plays out. They go to Gethsemane. They get him. Uh, you have this great story of where Peter gets his sword out and cuts off this guy's ear. She is like, what's up with that? And then he touches the guy and his ear comes back. Boop. Right? This is, I mean, now, if you were arresting Jesus and that happened, you just might think twice, right? I mean, if, if, if you know, cut old Mike's ear off, doop, and then you went like, oh, look, it's back. Right? That's pretty cool. So, you know, they're taking Jesus, and, you know, they're kind of trading him back and forth. You remember Caius and Pilate don't like each other, and now they do like each other because in the Middle East, the enemy of my, of my enemy is my friend, right? This is great. This is great sort of Middle Eastern drama going on. So they, um, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, so it went, Pilate to Caiaphas, back to Pilate. They led him. This is 1828, John 1828. It was early. They didn't want to enter the praetorium. 
so they might not be. Now watch the politics of fear here, right? So if they wouldn't be defiled, they, so they want to eat the Passover. If you go, you know, it's, you, know you, you can help us out, but we're not going to come in your house because we'll get dirty and then we can't go eat Passover. Passover is important. Um, be like you couldn't have Thanksgiving dinner. Pilate came out to them. What accusation to bring against this man? Like, why are you bothering me? Well, I mean, what's the problem here? The answer is, if this man were not an evildoer, we wouldn't hand him over. <laughs> yeah, you can hear this. If the guy, didn't, if, if the guy wasn't, wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have arrested him, right? Well, you know, this is a little, you know. Pilate said to them, hey, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. So immediately this deflection, right? Hey, I don't want to be, this isn't trouble. Uh, Jerusalem is explosive at this time. You know, Jerusalem's 25,000 people. At the time of the Passover, there's maybe 250,000 people. They all come. They fill the city. They camp on the hills around. Any pseudo-Messiah, any rabble-rouser, this is like going to the you know, Democratic National Convention in Chicago, right? If you want to cause trouble, right, this is where you go. And that's why, and Pilate's on edge, and they double the guard, and the governor comes from Caesarea Philippi. That, you know, he often is at the beach, but now he comes and he lives. You remember this now? Do you remember if you were in Jerusalem? Remember there's where the temple is, but then they're just beyond, like just beyond the temple mount, there's, there's the, the place where the governor lives. So he, has, he and the soldiers kind of look down and make sure everything's going to be okay, right? So everything is like, you know, pins and needles, Right? The place is ready to explode, and then they say, this is the guy. So Pilate's thinking to himself, is this going to fix my problem or make my problem worse? Right? So here you go. They answered him, if this man were an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him. Pilate said, take him yourselves, do it yourself. The Jews said, hey, we can't do that. We can't put anybody to death. You don't let us do that. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what death he would die. Pilate entered the praetorium again. He called Jesus to take some inside. We're going to meet privately. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said. Do you say this of your own accord, or did somebody else say it about me? And you see the back and forth, right? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Like, this is your problem. This isn't my problem, but it's a big problem for you because they're about to kill you. So, you know, I could turn you loose, and I'd tear you pieces in the street. Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have handed you over to me. What have you done? That's a great question. Like, what have you done? Jesus always told him what he was doing. Jesus answered, my kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews, but my kingship is not from this world. Pilate said to him, okay, you're a king, right? So you're a king. Again, this is a gambit, right? Because this would be some sort of intrusion or invasion. If you're really a king and you came in unannounced and you're causing trouble, what does this mean? Because I want to hold on to my pension, Right. So you're a king. Jesus said, hey, you said I'm a king. And then this great line, for this I was born and became man. For this I was born and for this I have come into the world. The the pregnancy of that, right? We could all say about ourselves we come into the world. But when the creator, we did John 1, the word by whom all things were made and nothing that was made was made without him. Right? So I have come into the world. There's your rescue point. There's the expression of love even in the face of hatred. For this, I've come into the world. What's this? Well, you're going to find out. What's this? To bear witness to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Or logos, big T truth. The, you know, the binding of the universe is, is all t- it's the It's the philosophical principle. It's the stuff that holds the universe together. It's whatever's true. That's the logos in Greek theology, or in Greek, Greek philosophy, and it comes into theology with even a, 
a more souped-up meaning than that. So we did all that, right? This is all coming together now. For this I was born, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him famously, hey, what's truth, right? And that's a question that has been answered from forever. You know, I sort of talked to you about, you know, the, you, even, you go everywhere. This is the question, La Sagrada Familia, when you go in Spain, you know, what do they say? Who am I? What am I here for? Where am I going? Kind of the great three questions of philosophy, right? Who, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going, right? What is truth? Okay, well, after he said this, he went out to the Jews again. I told him, hey, I don't see any crime in him. But as you have a custom that I should release one, now see again, another. So first he tries to deflect, now he tries to placate them, right? So the custom was the Jews could have one of their prisoner release. You could have one of your own back for the holiday. This is still practiced in many places in the world. You get prisoner release for the holiday. Come on, calm down. We gave you your people back, okay, right? Prisoner exchange, prisoner swaps, trades with treaties, all that stuff. Look, here it is already. Hey, um, you have a custom I should give you a guy. Does you want him? He's your king. He's king of the Jews. They cried out, no, not this man, Barabbas, who was, you know, sort of a little bit lower level um, rabble rouser. So Barabbas is one of the false guys who showed up in town. He's been arrested. Um, you know, he's a guy that they wouldn't want back on the street because he'll stir it up. And then a lot of innocent people always get hurt when things get stirred up, right? And then, you know, from the great philosopher Kinky Friedman, right, I give it to you, the crowd always chooses Barabbas, right? You know Kinky Friedman, you guys? See, I wrote my whole dissertation listening to Imus interview Kinky Friedman at 5.30 in the morning. See, it's good that you don't know everything about me, right? <laughs> See? Kirby and I went to Ricky Lee Jones last night. I lived my whole, I lived my whole uh, like from the time I was like, let's say, 18 to my present age in about one hour. And there's this point where she said, I'm just worn out. I'm like, this is perfect, right? She's genius if you, uh, but if you want to, after we go to the jazz club with that LDML L Grant, right, we'll just sneak over and see the late show. I, there's a lot to work on here. I know there is, okay? So, but just trust me here, right? So um, he says to him, hey, what's, what's, you know, what, 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 what's this all about, right? So um, uh, the, the, the crowd always, always wants Barabbas. The crowd always wants less. Your natural in- inclination is to placate. Your natural... In, your natural inclination is to save your own. Your, your natural inclination in mind, too, is to take the easy way through, right? So, I mean, here's Pilate in power, trying to maintain power, keeping everything going in the same way that it always goes. So um, Pilate took him out and he scourged him. They put a crown of thorns. They came up to him, hail the king of the Jews. They struck him with their hand. Pilate said, hey, look, I did a little work for you here. We kind of we worked him over. I find no crime in him. Um, Jesus came out with the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said, "This ecce homo, behold the man." You see this everywhere, right? You see it all the time. Paintings, ecce homo, behold the man, right? This invitation to say, "Hey, it's a Rorschach test for you." What is this, by the way? Just asking you what this is, right? What is that, right? Behold the man. What is this? If that's the single question that answers, "Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going?" Hey, there it is right there. It's, it's interesting how often, you know, um, people, when they're so deeply distraught, this is how even, even the angels, it says even the angels, you know, you know, confess God and tremble, see God and tremble, right? 
When you when you get so so when you're so refined or so depraved, in both times you can see things so clearly. Right? So behold the man, there he is. At Jehovah Pilate went and said, Hey, I'm bringing him out to you. I can't find anything. He's wearing behold the man. Nineteen six. Chief priest said, Crucify him. Pilate says, Do it yourself. The Jews said, We have a law. He should die, angry and afraid. Pilate heard these words. He was more afraid. See, this is what happens when everybody's angry and afraid. This is my whole riff about why you don't use anger and fear as a political strategy, because you can't control it. This is what happens. Innocent people get killed. Okay, keep going. Where are you from? There it is. So Pilate's already had, who am I? Who are you? And where are you from? Hey, two of the big three. In a second, we're going to get the third one. Where are you going? Right? Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said to him, you're not going to talk to me? Don't you know I have the power to release you? There it is, right there. I have the power, dynamus, like dynamite, I have the power to release you or constrain you. I have power over you. Do you understand this? And if you would just understand this, we could maintain the status quo and everybody can go home just the way it is. Maybe better for me than for you, but it's all going to work out. Okay? Don't you know I have power to release you? Jesus says to him, what are you, postmodern? Look at it. That's what it says right there. You don't have power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Completely different paradigm. Now, see, this is what, everything is coming together here. This is where we talked about why you don't have to be angry at science because science is golf and the church is lacrosse and they both have a stick and a ball, but it's two different games. So you don't have to, if you play lacrosse, you don't have to be mad at golfers just because they don't hit each other with sticks and don't get arrested, right? It's, it's, it's just a different game. It kind of looks the same. So Pilate says, this is all I got. And Jesus says, actually, the world is a bigger place than this. You wouldn't have power unless you got it from above. Therefore, he who delivered me has the greatest sin, right? Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews said, hey, if you do this, you're not serious friend. Now here, this is the critical error, right? If you want to break something, you, you choke it on itself. It's kind of classic academics. Tuck this away, Mason, St. Louis boy. If you want to choke a hermeneutic, you stuff it on itself until it breaks, Right? So what happens is if you just keep pushing things, this is like this is true for you know, this is true for your boat engine if you run it in the red all the time. This is true for people if you press your kids so hard you make them explode. It's true for this story too. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and the only thing that can stand the pain and the rage, front page of the bulletin today on the left, the psalm, is God. Everything else blows up. That's what happens here. Silence tried to release him. The Jews said, if you, 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 you're, you're Caesar's, you're not Caesar's friend, you're his enemy, right? Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus out. He sat him down on the pavement at Gabbatha. It was the time of preparation. It was the sixth hour. He says to the Jews, you're king. They cried out, no. Away with him. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar, the fatal heir. Right? Israel could never confess anybody as king. To confess somebody as king is to confess them as Lord, is to confess them as maker of all things, is to abandon heaven, is to confess a human being and give allegiance. It's idolatry, right? This is the whole story of Israel in one line. We have no king but Caesar, right? It's true for you too. If you, you confess, you know, we, we hold on to stuff so tightly, we get angry, we get afraid, we hold on to things, we want power, we want all. Right? 
The creed is the story of you being loved and loving in return. Mary. The creed is against the story of Pilate being loved and hating in return. Hating so much as to say you don't exist. You know that in any relationship, you know, Bernard Shaw, silence is the most perfect expression of scorn. Right? In any relationship, not to answer. You, you, know, this, you know the book on, written by this dolphin trainer on how to train your husband? Not too late. So there's a woman who's a dolphin trainer. This is a true story. So dolphins are really smart, and they get them to do all this stuff, right? But one of the problems with dolphins is they, they, every once in a while, they pop up and spit water in your face, right? And just to show you who's boss, power. And then, so this woman's like, um, what do you do when the dolphin spits water in your face? What do you do? You act like nothing happened. You just go on, like, do that flip for me again. She said, this is exactly how women should train their husbands. No lie, there's a whole book on this, right? Which the pastors colloquially call Pet the Dolphin. So, um, you know, if you ever get the Pet the Dolphin from the pastors, we probably should talk, right? Because we're just going to carry on like nothing happened, because that's not a good paradigm. And he handed them over to be crucified. Okay, now this is always the point where we have the lottery, right? We look and we see how much of the stuff in the outline did we actually do. Anybody want to bet on a percentage? Over, under, it'd be 47%. Shites, what do you think? Under? Under. Kirby. Jeez. Pet the dolphin, pet the dolphin, pet the dolphin. I'm at point number eight with one minute to go. So here it is. Pilate's this cagey veteran. He, determines, he defines the world in terms of power and control and advantage. He tries to be, even washes his hands, right, in another gospel. He says, hey, I'm innocent. They bring out water. He's like, hey, this is on you. This is the key thing for you. For Jesus, Pilate has neither love nor the trust born of love. Every once in a while, I'm in a goofy pastor's conference. where I, This has happened like nine years in a row, some pastor stands up and makes a resolution that we should all trust each other. And it always, yeah, no, I know, sorry. So, um, and then somebody seconds it, and then they talk about it, and they try to pass this resolution that we should trust each other. I want to, you know, I want to, I, I want to gouge my eyes out when this is, I'm just like, ah! You know, everybody knows it's love then trust, not trust then love. You trust people because you love them. Right? If you want your kids to trust you, love them. You don't get people to trust you by saying, you should trust me. Trust me. When somebody says, trust me, you should run the other way. Right? That's not what the story is. This is why people get faith so screwed up. This is how the story works. You love people. Okay, now see, this is where all the dots connected, which is, You're not angry at them. You're not condescending toward them. You don't try to oppress them. You don't try to hurt them. You turn the other cheek. You love your neighbor as yourself. You love people. And when you love people, they trust you. Click ahead. When God wants you back, what does God do for you? He doesn't, doesn't, this is where scripture gets missed. He doesn't write you a book and tell you, trust this book. No, he said, that's what the Baptists say. That's not the, that's the, not Lutheran. That's not Catholic. That's not, that's not what, the church has said for 2,000 years or 4,000 years. This is the message. I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Israel. When you have anything, I came and got you. So when you move into the promised land, don't think that you're bigger, smarter, stronger, better than anybody else, that you did this on your own, that you were the most favored of all the people. No. 
you got this because I loved you. And then to which the proper response is, thank you very much, right? There's only one story, you see. It's just told in many, many different ways. If I can, I'm going to, I'll push you toward this next week. There's so much to do. But I'm going to push you toward the notion then that the cross is about love and not about wrath. It is, of course, about wrath. And it can be talked about as ransom, as sacrifice, as rescue. But it should also be talked about, and I think it's a very poignant and full way to talk about the cross, as an act of love where you won't pay attention to anything else. For goodness sakes, right? If there hadn't been an incarnation, you know what people would say? Well, if God would just come among us like Lazarus and Devis did, remember when Lazarus is in hell and he says, just send Moses to my brothers and God says, we did this already, right? If there wasn't an incarnation, we'd complain there wasn't an incarnation. God doesn't know about us. He doesn't know what it is to be human. We'd complain about that. Since he comes in the flesh, we complain about that. What does that mean? That we're only interested in protecting ourselves from God because we're so afraid of not being God. The bad news is, of course, you try to be God and it will crush you, right? Satan is the primary example of that. I really got to go, and actually, you probably want in the shites too. Um, check in at the front desk for your free prizes, okay? It's uh, with the LWL grant for the Jazz Club. Drinks are on us, okay? Here we go. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.